This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, ice buildup raises flooding threat. AI 101. Woodcut retrospective opens at Telluride Arts. And a mountain weather forecast. But first... Telluride lost a larger-than-life member of its community. James Roby Peabody passed away over the weekend. Peabody had been fighting lung cancer, but had high hopes of beating it. He was found dead in his Telluride home by friends on Saturday, December 30th. He was 48 years old. Peabody came to Telluride in 1996 after finishing high school in Maine. His aunt and uncle, Donna and Terry Fernald, took him in and put him to work, driving a snowcat, making big jumps on the mountain. A local wild man, arborist, naked bike rider, and Lunar Cup organizer, Peabody was known around town as a fearless snowboarder, lover of bacon and bourbon, a funny guy who loved a good joke. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Peabody is survived by his parents, Charles and Patricia, and his sisters, Bethany and Rachel. Kodo News will broadcast a full tribute for Roby on Thursday. The San Miguel County Sheriff's Office and the National Weather Service are monitoring ice buildup on the San Miguel River near Saw Pit. We have some significant ice buildup, but it's posing a very minor threat at this point. There's no danger to persons or property. That's Susan Lilly, Public Information Officer for the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office. But we did want to let the public know that, you know, it should temperatures warm and we get significant ice breakage and there could be some minor flooding. Lily notes they can't know exactly when or how the ice will break. This is something that the Sheriff's Office and the National Weather Service are closely monitoring, and certainly we will keep the public continuously informed as we get more information should the situation worsen. According to Lily, there is no current threat to people or property. The sheriff's office asks residents in the area to pay attention to the river status, adding anglers and recreators should stay out of the water. If you ask Moise Kohari, artificial intelligence isn't inherently good, but it's also not inherently bad. Like any strong technology, this has uh, the potential to be extremely harmful and has the potential to be extremely helpful. Kohari is a Telluride local and computer scientist working in AI. This week, in a collaboration between Telluride Science and Innovation Center and the Telluride Foundation, Kohari is presenting AI 101. What is AI and how will it shape our future? Kohari likens our current AI moment with the rise of the internet. These days, um, certainly AI seems to be where we might have been in the late 90s with uh, the dot-com thing, right? Because everything was dot-com back then. Today, everybody talks about AI. (laughs) At its base, he says AI is just the next version of data analysis. And we've been doing data analytics or, you know, about leveraging data for 50 years, right? Ever since computer science began 
you know, the first thing we did was try to break codes, uh, the German codes with, um, you know, with the Turing machine and things like that. What was that? It was all analytics. All we're doing is we're, we're really allowing the machine to be a little more intelligent, generate a little more intelligence on its own to then be able to analyze that data better. Now AI is more accessible than ever, especially with generative AI, language modeling tools like ChatGPT. Then people are starting to say, oh my God, I can just write a you know college paper with this. <laughs> Great. But there are also more challenging subjects when it comes to AI, like predictive analytics. You want to take a bunch of data you know, most commonly, let's say, stock market, and you want to predict whether IBM is going to go up or down. So what do you do? You leverage different types of predictive algorithms to then be able to say, based on all the data and based on all these external factors that I can account for, I think this is what's going to happen. You're making those predictions. And those are starting to become more and more accurate. So that's really interesting. Um, because, you know, that's a whole different game, how well we can predict the future uh, for any given discipline. Kohari says we don't necessarily need to understand everything about AI to use it, but we do need to put effort into regulating it. We drive cars and we leverage telephones and we do other things, right? We don't have to understand everything for us to be able to leverage the appropriate technologies to make our lives easier. There is another side to it where it certainly can impact our lives negatively based on, um, you know, the, uh, how that is leveraged by the powers um, to guide the population in a certain direction or not. And how do we make sure that some of those biases don't exist or appropriate regulations exist that um, put r appropriate guardrails on this technology? I don't know how much of that thought process has already gone into our gen a creation of these technologies. I'd maybe suggest not enough because... You know, this is an evolving field, and we really don't have guardrails in place yet. At the base level, Kahari encourages people to join the conversation. Being scared or not never changes anything, right? I mean, you know, humans created guns and nuclear bombs and other things, and technology is always going to move forward whether you and I want it to or not. And there is almost no way, in my opinion, or easy way to put the genie back in the bottle. So how do we appropriately leverage it, um, regulate it, enforce it? Those, I, I come back to that as being the core. The AI 101, What is AI and How Will It Shape Our Future presentation will take place at the Sheridan Opera House on Thursday, January 4th at 5.30 p.m., the event is free and open to the community. I find Henrik Holland in the Telluride Arts East Gallery on Main Street, unwrapping enormous woodblock prints, pulling off sheets of plastic large enough to blanket a king-sized bed. 
The unveiling reveals images of pastoral landscapes, both of the American West, of this iconic landscape in San Miguel and Uray County, and of the farming country of America's East Coast. Just this morning, Holland drove the work over from Ridgeway, where he lives. But as the images testify, he hasn't always been from the western slope. Holland says he first came to Colorado only 10 or so years ago, after his son graduated from high school. And I had every intention of coming to Colorado and doing this one on the end, the courthouse, as a commission piece, and then returning to New England. So it was this originally like a three-month and then uh, I got a huge reception, and then I thought, these are great, uh, this is great landscape for these panoramic, large images that I gravitated to. So, so Holland stayed. He took a residency in Paonia, which produced a number of prints of that landscape. He settled in Ridgeway, and his most recent work is filled with landmarks from the San Juans. The familiar landscape of Colorado is only half the show. Across the gallery, filling the entire east wall, are prints of an entirely different place. The dark and muddied landscape of dairy farms, shops, barns, telephone poles, wide sheltering trees, and the gambrel roofs of Dutchess County, New York. Holland points out two prints he completed decades ago. He recalls growing up in that place. You know, we, we lived, my father was an English teacher, and we lived out in the country. For some reason, we were the closest to the school, but we were the first to be picked up in the morning and the last to be dropped off at night. So we, the, the bus would go all over the countryside, and, you know, there were farm kids. And, and so I remember both of these spots as, as uh, farms that, that our school bus used to, you know, go by every day. At the outset of his career, Holland was drawn to document these dairy farms as they represented a disappearing way of life. The changing economy of agriculture in the 80s spelled doom to the small family farmer and the landscape he recognized. Because I realized these small family farms, once they were gone, that, that farm, that landscape would never be the same. It would be divided up and, you know, lotted up in houses on 30 acres and that sort of thing, and the sweep of the roll of the hills would be gone. Has this concern for the changing fate of place continued in his Colorado work? Holland considers the question. Yeah, perhaps I, I seem to gravitate to those big wide open spaces. I came to Colorado and you could, the air is so clear, you can see 60, 70 miles in places. And so yeah, there was sort of like this natural kind of step. There wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I have to find myself in this new, new country. While Holland has exhibited his Colorado work before, he's never shown both his pieces from Dutchess County and from the Western Slope in the same show. Preparing for this month's exhibit at Telluride Arts involved driving back to the East Coast to fetch his original wood blocks, which measure three by seven feet, and reprinting them for the first time in decades. And to print them up, you know, I thought, oh, you know, they're not that bad. You know, when you look back on 20 years, you think, well... You know, they probably, probably some of them fall to the wayside. From just for myself, it's great to see the, you know, everything together like this. Woodblock printing involves carving directly into wood, laying down ink, and transferring the image to paper. In the work of many artists, the grain of the wood fades and is worked out by the carver. In Holland's work, less so. The character of the knotty pine boards shows through. I don't like just a clean grained. Uh, surface to work on you know you can you can sort of 
pull out the knots pretty easy. You can see them as, as uh, sky-reflected water puddles. And others, I can, you know, circle what is the, the stream around it, like an eddy or, or something like that. So, In this way, Holland allows the wood to enter and guide the image. He says this conflict between his vision and the vision of the material animates his work. So any kind of tension that is organic is sort of my wheelhouse of what I, where I like to, to create. The retrospective of Henrik Holland's work is now open at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery East. An official reception will open the show during Art Walk on Thursday, January 4th from 5 to 8 p.m. And the exhibit will be open through the end of the month. The town of Mountain Village is looking for vendors for its 2024 Market on the Plaza. Market on the Plaza is held on Wednesdays in the summer in Heritage Plaza from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. June 12th through September 11th, 2024. Individuals and businesses are encouraged to apply to showcase their locally made and or grown goods and wares. Applications to be a vendor at Market on the Plaza are due by February 1st. Applications are available at marketontheplaza.com. Got the post-holiday blues? Clearing that tree out of your house could help you move on. The San Miguel County Christmas Tree Recycling Station is up and running at the Church Camp parking lot on the intersection of Ilium and Sunshine Mesa Roads. The county asks that you remove all lights and decorations and bring no debris or trash except your bare tree. The site closes down on January 31st. Last month, the Colorado River Drought Task Force submitted a list of recommendations to the General Assembly for consideration. The group met 10 times in 2023 to discuss how Colorado can respond to prolonged drought in the river basin. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Caroline Yanis of Aspen Public Radio has more. Most of the group's recommendations include money for certain initiatives, like turf removal, studying riparian ecosystems and wildlife, and replacing aging infrastructure for better water storage. Kathy Chandler-Henry is an Eagle County Commissioner and chaired the task force. She says the report also includes narratives and conversation starters for lawmakers that didn't end up as recommendations. This includes thinking ahead to negotiating with other states, especially Arizona, California, and Nevada, about using water from the Colorado River. In the western slope, we live by the streams and the rivers. If there's a drought, we see it, we feel it. And being able to communicate that and work with our downstream partners to try and do what we can to be resilient in the face of drought, I think that's our huge task ahead of us. She says the four-and-a-half-month meeting period went by very fast, especially in the water world, where people often think in terms of decades, centuries, and even millennia. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Caroline Yanez. Denver saw more migrant arrivals from the U.S.-Mexico border last year per capita than any other U.S. city. 
KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports Mayor Mike Johnston wants the federal government to step in. There were over 4,200 migrants in Denver shelters on Christmas Eve, more than double the number from a month before. Many were sent to the city by bus on the orders of Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Jennifer Piper with the American Friends Service Committee has been working with migrants in Colorado for decades. She says there needs to be a national resettlement strategy. If the federal government would invest in in coordinating from when people are released from Border Patrol to where their end destination is, uh, this could be a lot less stressful on everyone. Mayor Johnston called on the federal government last week to declare a state of emergency over the migrant crisis. Denver has served more than 34,000 migrants in just over a year at a cost of more than $36 million. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 70% chance of snow showers tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Less than an inch of snow accumulation is possible. Thursday calls for snow showers with a high near 30 degrees and 1 to 2 inches of snow accumulation. Thursday night there's a chance of snow showers with a low in the mid-teens. Friday calls for a 40% chance of snow showers during the day and a 60% chance of snow showers at night. The high is near 25 degrees with a low around 15. This has been the news for Wednesday, January 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. We know it's winter, but we're gearing up already for Spring Sing 2024. The Telluride Choral Society is having its weekly rehearsals beginning Sunday, January 7th, 4.30 to 7 at Christ Church. 434 West Columbia Avenue. Singing in harmony with a group is an experience like no other. We invite you to join us for our spring music season. No experience necessary, just the desire to learn and become part of our musical community. Hal Adler, our artistic director, has songs for us from Bach to U2 to Jacob Collier, just to name a few. The concerts, then, will be performed on March 8th and March 10th. For more information, visit telluridechoralsociety.org. Come sing with us for Spring Sing. This is Ginny Fraser, and thank you, Coda. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact the staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.